So on Tuesday, Claudine Gay, the first black president of Harvard, stepped down amid allegations that she plagiarized portions of her research. This is Julian Mark. He's a business reporter for The Post. This was the culmination of a broader effort to force her out following some very deeply unpopular testimony in front of Congress about anti-Semitism on her campus. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules on bullying and harassment? Calling for the genocide of Jews is anti-Semitic. So yes. And that is anti-Semitic speech. And as I have said, and it's when a speech yes. crosses into conduct. And it's a yes. I've asked the witnesses. When, conses- when speech crosses into conduct, we take action. So is that a yes? Is that a yes? The witness hasn't answered. Madam Chair, is that a yes? But Julian says over time, it's become clear. The push for Gay to resign wasn't just about anti-Semitism on college campuses, or just about plagiarism. Conservatives viewed this as an example of a high-powered individual at a very high-level institution climbing her way to the top, not based on merit, but on her identity, which sort of is at the core of DEI. DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Friday, January 5th. Today, conservative activists are celebrating the resignation of Harvard's president. Julian explains how this is part of a broader battle over the future of diversity initiatives in this country. Okay, Julian, first, before we get into this other conversation about how Claudine Gay's resignation connects to this bigger campaign and hand-wringing over DEI, I first want to understand how we got here. So briefly, can you just walk me through where the beginning of the end started for Claudine Gay? Well, the beginning of the end started in front of Congress in December uh, when she was faced with questions about whether or not uh, Harvard's you know, rules of conduct outlawed speech that was about genocide against Jews or calls for genocide against Jews. And those answers enraged a lot of people. She did not actively say, no, you know, calls for genocide are absolutely, you know, not okay on on Harvard's campus. Or like a violation of its code of conduct. It felt felt very, like, legal almost, the response. Yeah, they were overly legalistic responses. Uh, Many viewed them as such. And she was one of three. One of the university presidents, uh, Liz McGill, the president of UPenn, um, ended up resigning because she gave the same, you know, similar sort of overly legalistic responses. Unlike, you know, UPenn's president, Claudine Gay stayed. And Harvard's board stood behind her. And she said, you know, they refused to remove her. She did not resign. She apologized for her comments in front of Congress. And I think there began sort of a very intense push to remove her as well. And then what happened? And so several news outlets um, and several activists publicized allegations that she plagiarized um, portions of her work. And, you know, some of that included, you know, not putting quotation marks around certain lines that she cited. Harvard, I believe, looked into it, um, said that 
these were correctable, but not, I guess, a fireable offense. But the pressure continued. And she ended up resigning um, amid these loud calls for her resignation, you know, from the plagiarism allegations. So how did Gay respond to the allegations and also to this campaign and effort to to have her removed? Well, she published an op-ed in the New York Times um, defending herself and saying, quote, the campaign against me was about more than one university and one leader. This was merely a single skirmish in a broader war to unravel public faith in the pillars of American democracy. She also defended her academic record, uh, saying that she, you know, addressed the attribution issues after learning about them and that she had never misrepresented her research and has not taken credit for others. What do Claudine Gay's detractors say about her resignation and, and why there was this effort to have her removed? Well, in in some ways, they're agreeing with what she's saying. Mm. Um, You know, they're saying that, you know, this is bigger than just Harvard. It's bigger than just Harvard's president. Uh, This is a major victory for uh, in the war against, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives that, you know, are unfair and that, you know, essentially go against, you know, what is American. And that is, you know being successful on your own merits. Well, that's really interesting that people who are her fiercest critics and are celebrating her resignation are agreeing with her and saying it out loud. I mean, that's super interesting. Who are some of those people and what have they said? So one of those people is um, Chris Rufo, a conservative activist who played a large role in airing the plagiarism allegations against Claudine Gay, uh, wrote his uh, own op-ed, Uh, in the Wall Street Journal this week, saying, you know, this was a huge victory. It's the beginning of the end of DEI. And he said that the win was only possible because of a coordinated campaign between uh, Harvard donors withholding millions of dollars from political pressure from politicians, uh, and then also his efforts uh, and, you know, the efforts of other activists and journalists, ex- you know, applying pressure that she plagiarized uh, some of her research. Wow. So he laid out the strategy that the, that there was an effort and campaign behind this. Absolutely. And he said that, you know, the strategy needs to be repeated over and over again, um, you know, to ultimately take down diversity initiatives that really swelled up um, following, um, you know, the murder of George Floyd but have been, you know, slowly percolating over the decades, um, you know, to help campuses and, uh, and, and corporations diversify. After the break, where diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts came from, and the growing backlash against them. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. 
Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Okay, Julian, let's now back up for a moment. Can you just clearly explain what is DEI and where did this idea come from? It's it's a. Comp- I mean, that could be a whole hour conversation. I'm sure it's <laughs> but- a very complicated uh, topic. Um, but the short answer is that diversity, equity, inclusion is it, it's it's a term that refers to programs meant to uh, diversify workforces, um, diversify uh, campuses to help be inclusive of people of all backgrounds. And uh, it really grew out of the civil rights era and, you know, later affirmative action. And, you know, now we are kind of in this era of DEI, which sort of has the foundation that if you have a diverse and inclusive organization, then that organization is going to thrive, either by making money or having, you know, sort of a wealth of, of ideas um, and, and progress. Julian, why, tell me about why supporters think these initiatives are important. They're important because they say that they are necessary to correct longstanding historic uh, imbalances that go back to even the, the beginnings of this country to where certain minorities and women uh, were actively excluded from the economy and the skilled workforce. And, and you know, we still have not reached, uh, you know, the point that we want in the workplace and in on uh, university campuses. And it felt like... DEI really became more prominent, a bigger feature of all sorts of institutions after the murder of George Floyd and racial justice protests in the United States in 2020. Is that is that right? Is my feeling about that right? I think you see companies responding to a lot of public pressure to show that they are doing something. And, you know, and you do see large companies putting in you know, high-level officials to manage uh, their diversity and inclusion initiatives. But I will say, you know, that, you know, this really has been a movement that has been slowly percolating over the decades. Wow, that's interesting. So what have the past couple of years looked like? Has there been this backlash? Can you tell me a little bit about what that has looked like? You know, it has been a, a very sort of multifaceted uh, legal offensive um, that has included discrimination complaints filed by and large by uh, organizations like Stephen Miller's America First Legal. And Stephen Miller was a part of the Trump administration. Yeah, he was an advisor to Trump. And, you know, alleging that programs meant to bring in a more diverse array of contractors and employees, essentially discriminate against, um, you know, people who it doesn't benefit, you know, mostly including white men. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, it's also included, you know, lawsuits by white plaintiffs who say that they've been excluded from government programs uh, meant to funnel uh, federal contracting dollars to minorities. Um, and so it, it's been, you know, there are dozens of lawsuits. These have picked up big time, hmm. you know, especially over the last year and especially since the Supreme Court struck down race-conscious admissions. Um, Through their affirmative action ruling, right? Their affirmative action ruling. Uh, and Harvard was a uh, a, a defendant in that lawsuit. Wow. 
So what other ways have you seen efforts to either undermine or turn the tide on things that feel like DEI um, beyond the courts? Yeah, I mean, it's it's taken place in state houses. Um, you know, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, you know, enacted legislation that essentially barred public universities in Florida from, you know, engaging in, in DEI. In fact, if you look at the way this has actually been implemented across the country, uh, DEI is, is better um, viewed as standing for discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. And that has no place in our public institution. And just in December, hmm. the Oklahoma governor signed an executive order doing the same. That's, that's basically what it says. It says we're going to stop using state dollars uh, for uh, DEI officers. Let's literally focus on the kids, use those monies to educate kids instead of trying to uh, preferential treat people based on, uh, based on their race. So, you know, we're seeing that uh, conservative leaders are, are using their power to limit, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion initiatives, um, you know, in their states. Mm-hmm. And as a person who's covering business, what has been the business world's reaction to, to this conversation? How does it play out there? Well, it's, I mean, that's a very complicated question because we do have some of the loudest business leaders coming out and railing against DEI, like Tesla, you know, CEO Elon Musk getting on um, his platform, his own platform (laughs) X and saying that DEI is racist and, you know, essentially a sham. Um, And then you have, you know, Mark Cuban, another billionaire saying that, no, I mean, we our organization really embraces DEI, and it means a lot to us, and it's helping our organization thrive. So we have some of these big sort of public billionaire leaders. A harder question to answer is how corporations are truly reacting with their own policies. And we have, you know, there are reports that some companies are pulling back on their policies. You know, I've had reporting and I've spoken to experts who say there are some Fortune 500 companies who really just want to hold on to these these policies because they really believe that they're good for the company and they're trying to make them work. So I don't think it's a single reaction. I think that big companies are reacting in a lot of different ways, and um, more reporting needs to be done to figure out exactly mm-hmm. uh, exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like from the reporting you've done and what you've shared here today that what happened with Claudine Gay was a very public, prominent flashpoint in this broader, you know, moment around DEI. So going forward, how will you be thinking about this and what will be the things that you're going to be looking out for? I'm going to be looking out for, you know, more lawsuits. I'm going to be looking out for an energized conservative base and energized conservative efforts, uh, activists filing more lawsuits, taking on more public campaigns such as this to point out the, to use them as examples to point out the flaws in DEI. But what I found interesting about my reporting this week was that, you know, speaking to proponents and opponents of DEI, they both believe that the battle has just begun. Uh, They say that uh, the resignation of Claudine Gay was, you know, uh, a a win, but... uh, Or a loss. Or a loss, right. Right. Uh, But that... 
you know, there's going to be lots more sort of uh, tussling in the courts and in the public sphere. And, you know, you know, ta- speaking to um, a consultant who works with uh, Fortune 500 companies on their DEI efforts, you know, he thought that, you know, the left is now at least trying to gear up to bring their own lawsuits um, and to sort of play the game that the conservatives have been playing, uh, you know, in court to sort of extinguish uh, diversity and inclusion. Well, Julian, this is also fascinating. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Julian Mark is a business reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Ariel Plotnick with help from Sabi Robinson. It was edited by Maggie Penman. It was mixed by Renny Svernofsky. Our team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Lucy Perkins, Monica Campbell, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnick, Bishop San, Arjun Singh, Renny Svernofsky, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, and Renita Jablonski. I'm Elahe Izadi. My co-host is Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.